Hello and welcome to the Me and My Golf podcast. We're your hosts and PGA golf coaches, Piers Ward and Andy Pravin. Each week we're going to share with you our 20 plus years of coaching experience to bring you top tips, the latest information and trends, along with some of the world's best in the golf industry to help you play the best golf of your life. So what are we waiting for? Let's get to it and help you take charge of your game. This is episode 24 of the Me and My Golf podcast and today we've got a very special guest with us. We have performance coach, PGA golf professional, Dr. Carl Morris. Now, Carl Morris has actually uh, been an influence in our coaching and our lives. We actually attended one of his courses quite a few years ago, which was uh, an NLP uh, course, basically training the brain. And it really opened our, our minds and our eyes to a sort of a new side of the game. And we all understand that you know the the body and the golf swing is important, but a lot of golfers act, actually neglect their mind or, and are a little bit unsure of actually how to go about training a better mind. So this is a fantastic podcast for us. It's very much a more of a discussion. Um, we did plan this one out, but we we sort of just rolled with it in the end and, and had a great discussion and went off into different topics. So I think you're going to buy some very useful things that you can apply into your game immediately on the golf course and. Carl's knowledge and experience is uh, incredible, really. He's worked with over six uh, major champions, over 100 PGA Tour, European Tour golfers as well. So he's really got some you know, real-world experience in coaching these golfers um, close at hand. So I think you're going to enjoy this one. If you do enjoy it and if you listen to this, take a screenshot of the podcast and tag us in on your Instagram and uh, we'll get back to you and sort of uh, and reply to as many guys as we can. And also, just head over to iTunes and give us a review if you do like the the podcast and you want some more special guests. It really does help reach more golfers. So, uh, without further ado, let's introduce Carl. So, hello, Carl. How are you this morning? And what's Andy? What's going on? We have the sun in Manchester. blinding us in Manchester. <laughs> it's a unique day. We don't get many of these in July, let alone in uh, in October. Is this no, the day? Is it? It's the day. The yeah, day. yeah. Well, day I timed day. everything. I spoke to the right people and organised it for us. So. Is that good, Andy? <laughs> it is. It is. It is that good? So, look. Thank you so much for obviously spending some time with us. We've got some filming we're doing today as well. Um, Gary's going to be here soon as well. So, uh, Gary Nickel, we're going to be doing some fantastic filming. But you you've played a a really big part in our development as coaches and as people. But can you just tell the listeners a little bit of a history about yourself and where you've come from to get to this point? Yeah, it's uh, been a long and winding road, really, Piers. Uh, it's, I mean, I started off probably, as a lot of us done this, with this idea of becoming a player and uh, wanting to play the, the game at the highest level. And I really struggled in the early days in the sense I was the classic practice ground guy, you know, I'd read the ball technique and I'd stand on the range and hit these bullets down the range one after another and then get in a tournament. It was a bit of a different formation in a tournament. The red <laughs> arrows took over. And, and, and initially I kind of very much went down the route of I've got to fix this in, with technique. I've got, to, I've got to build a golf swing that'll stand up under pressure. And I sort of searched for that for a long time and it didn't seem to be working. So I became much more interested in the performance side of it. You know, what was going on in my mind in those situations that didn't allow me to come out in a, in, in a tournament. And I looked at various approaches, the inner game, kind of psychology, um, hypnosis, all kinds of different NLP, different approaches, and became much more interested in how could we apply practical mental game tools and techniques for for club golfers, tournament players, etc. And 
kind of from there, got lucky, worked with a couple of players who, who, who did pretty well, and then one or two other players came on board, and, and here we are, 15, 20 years later, still talking about the same stuff, still, <laughs> still searching, really. Yeah, yeah. And, and you say players, so what, what sort of players? Because I know there's some very notable ones, aren't there? Yeah, I mean, in, in the early days, I, I worked with a, a guy in, in this region who, uh, in, the, in the Manchester area, who was, who was a very good... Uh, pro-am player, a guy called Phil Archer, uh, who used to post some amazing scores in, in pro-ams but could never quite turn it into four-round tournaments. And, 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 he, and he came to me almost on the point of, of giving up, really. And, and uh, as I've found over the years, desperation is a pretty good state to get somebody. <laughs> and uh, we did some work together, and then long story short, Phil, Phil uh, went to the tour school at the end of that year, shot 27 under in the tour school, got his tour card, and and got on, on tour, and a couple of years, a couple of years later, he was playing Volvo Masters and a couple of million, million quid in, in, mm. in a couple of years, and did well. It was from, it was from Phil then. Um, got working with uh, Darren Clark, I worked with for for a while, and uh, Graham McDowell. Um, probably the player I got a lot of press for was was Louis Oosthuizen in the in the British Open. We started working together a few weeks before the the, the British Open. In 2010, he'd never actually made a cut in a, in, in a major, uh, and, and we, we got together and worked on a couple of ideas that uh, culminated what became known as the as the, as the red dot. The, yeah. the, the, I don't know if you perhaps remember that that he, he was going through a ritual on each shot in the, in the open of of looking at the looking at the red dot, and uh, and, he, and he won the British Open at St Andrews by uh, by, by seven shots. So it's. Uh, it was, uh, it was, it was, that was a real interesting, it was funny after that, I, um, as, as a lot of golfers tend to do, um, this red dot on the glove got, a, got quite a lot of press and I remember about a month afterwards, I travel around quite a bit and I saw, I saw a guy on a tee <laughs> with, a, a, with a red dot on a white glove and I walked up to him and I said, oh that's interesting, I said, well, you've, got, you've got a red dot on your glove, he said, yeah, he said, I've no idea what it's all about, he said, but I thought I'd give it a go anyway. <laughs> You've seen 5,000 people since with red dots. Yeah, I should have have, uh, trademarked the the red dot white glove. Uh, Something we talked about still in some of our videos, Pierce, we've mentioned that a few times, Mm. talking about that red dot. And it it was more about sort of a a trigger to allow him to concentrate. Is that right? The thing is, Andy, a lot of of psychology, I think, is just shrouded in mystery and cliche. You know, things like stay in the present moment and, you know, one shot at a time and things like that. And, you know... Stay in the present moment. It's a little bit like saying to somebody, "Just go and play the piano." You know, it's all right if you know what you're doing, but if you don't, it can you can make a make a bad noise kind of thing. And and you know, what is the what is the present moment? Well, 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 the present moment primarily we tune into that with something that's real, that's here and now, something to do with our senses. Now the thing is with Louis, what we'd set up because he originally came to me and he said, "I'm having real trouble." When I actually get into the shot, he said, he said, I, I find myself standing over the ball and all of a sudden my mind's jump into, you know, what I did yesterday and, you know, what's going to happen next week and all this kind of stuff. The very opposite of being in the present moment. And uh, we worked on this idea that actually, I remember asking him, I said, um, what state of mind do you want to be in when you play a golf shot? And he thought for a minute and he said, um, focused, I guess. And so I said to him, I said, if focus had a colour, what would it be? And I remember him looking at me as though, well, what, what the hell are you talking <laughs> about? But he, about? But he humoured me, thankfully, yeah. and, he, and, he, and he said, well, red, I guess. And it was, it was weird. It was, so I said, I said, just imagine then that if you saw the colour red, just like when a traffic light goes up and, and that 
traffic light is a signal to stop. Just imagine if red was a signal for you to focus on this particular task. And he sort of said, oh, he said, I said, just imagine if you saw something that was red and that was a trigger. And he said, oh, I guess I could, I could, I don't know, put something on my glove or something like that. And I tell you, you know, we, we were sat at a desk and he'd got his glove there. And the, believe it or not, this, this is fate, I suppose. There was a red pen on the desk. <laughs> no way. And he said, he said, oh, I saw, I could, I could put a, a, a dot on my glove and, and, and colour it red. And that would tell me to now concentrate on, the, on this particular shot. See, so everybody thought it was my idea. But, it was <laughs> he, he came, he came. but that, that was basically, the dot was, you know, if you think about where a red dot is on your glove, if you actually look at that red dot, that is a sensory experience that's going on right here and now. Mm-hmm. It's real, it's here, it's present. But that dot was then just a signal for him to then go through a process to ask a couple of questions in his routine and actually get into the get into the shot. So even yeah. it would be a, a consistency to that, wouldn't it? And that's, I think that's the big thing, isn't it? You know, and it, it, one of the things that you know, time and time again, research has proven that that under pressure, this idea this idea that that great players under pressure don't feel nervous or don't feel uncomfortable is nonsense. Mm. And I think it's one of the biggest myths that, that club golfers say, oh, you know, these, these guys are gliding along and they feel fantastic. They don't. They feel nervous like the rest of us. But there's a difference between being nervous or feeling uncomfortable and, th- and knowing what to do in the face of those feelings. So we're not, we're, not, we're not really trying to eliminate those feelings. We're trying to create structure whereby when I feel like this, I know that if I do this, this and this, I can get through. So I can perform with those feelings I can perform despite feeling uncomfortable. So things like the, what the research is, over the years has proven is that under pressure, if we've got, you know, the military use this, this principle, if, I, if I've got a, a system to follow, I've got a process to follow, I can be nervous, I can feel uncomfortable, but I can get through. Mm. Yeah. You know, in the military, I think they call it a standard operating procedure. Chaos is reigning all around me, but I know my role is to do this, this and this. You know, and I've... I've since you know, been fortunate to work in some other sports and I remember I did some work with the Huddersfield Giants in rugby and you know, it was interesting in going into that strange field where I wasn't used to sort of team environment but the, the, the Giants, the few years that I was working with them there, we actually came up with the mantra that a great team is a bunch of individuals being very clear on their role. Mm. You know, we used to do things like before they'd, before they'd go out on the pitch they'd actually, uh, where, they, where they got changed, they'd actually write up on a piece of paper, this is what I'm going to do on the pitch. And the interesting thing with that was that when they'd read that, that was a, that was a commitment for them, but also the teammates were aware that, you know, Piers, you're going to do this job so I can focus on my job. Yeah. yeah. Andy, you're going to do that job. I'm not worried about you. Yeah, and that's, it's, it's interesting though, isn't it? Because something like rugby is definitely more structured to football. You know, in in that respect. So I think I've heard this before where people have said, you know, your job really is that you've, in rugby, you've kind of got an opponent. You know, you've got an opponent and you need to know what your job is and actually how to combat them as well. And I think that, and if you think about it in golf, there's some similarities in that because it's, although rugby is a team event, it has has these individual tendencies, which obviously we have in golf. Yeah, and and again, what's interesting, the parallel that, that, I'm sure we'll touch on this, what, what, going into another sport, because I know, I know all three of us are keen on learning stuff, so it was a great experience for me to go into a completely... Di- I love rugby league, that's the proper rugby rather than <laughs> the, the other kind of rugby. I love... But it was great watching them train, because what was very clear to me from, an, from early on seeing them, that 
that every minute in training had a purpose. That they were out there for a specific time and it was, a lot of it was replicating what was going to happen in the game. Um, you know, specific drills for specific parts of the game. And, you know, and I thought, golf's got so much to learn from that, yeah. really, that you know, we go on the range... The phrase I hate more than anything else, you know, if, if anything's going to bring on a premature heart attack, is another commentator on golf on TV saying, oh, he's working hard at his game. Yeah. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> you know, working hard, the connotation is, oh, he's hit loads of balls. Mm. Well, if you've hit 500 balls in a day, fine. But what's the only thing you've really proven to yourself is that you can hit 500 shots. Mm. And then we, so we, we have this idea that hitting loads of balls in practice is good. And then we come to a game like golf where actually we're trying to hit as few shots as possible. And I'm not saying there's not room for repetition. There is definitely. I'm sure we'll touch on it. But, you know, I have a big concept now that, you know, we, sh- we shouldn't be practising golf. We should be training for golf. Yeah. We should, train, we should train for golf and then go and practise golf on the golf course. You know, a surgeon trains to be a surgeon. Then he practises surgery. Yeah. You know, what, you know I see, I've, I've seen so many careers ruined my people becoming more and more absorbed in hitting loads and balls on the range and then this big word at the moment, transferability. You know, does it transfer onto the golf? And so often it doesn't, does it? No. You know, and, and you know, I know you guys are really keen on this area. I think there's just so much opportunity now for good coaches to look at better pra- practice habits and better training habits because I've always said I'd never have had a role in this job if, if golf was practiced better. Yeah. It is interesting what you're saying there as well. And just, just actually going back to the... I mean, I'm going to ask about Darren Clark as well because we've, we've met Darren before. That's and spent a separate some time podcast. With him. <laughs> I think that is a separate podcast. But I think the, the, the thing that, that struck upon me there was when you were talking about Louis is that you kind of opened the doors for him and allowed him to walk through them. So you allowed him to make the decisions. And we've, we've said this before, and this is the one thing that struck home when we first saw you in 2007, is that you just opened the doors for us to allow us to create that idea and make that idea our own and is that something you did similar to Darren as well was that how you'd work with him always I mean the, the interesting thing with Darren you know somebody said to me who's the most talented player that you've ever seen in your life and I've been fortunate to stand on on ranges when Tiger was his, as his best and I, you know I, I, I definitely say Darren is the most talented golfer I've ever seen mm-hmm. incredible talent for, for striking a golf ball we used to one of the things that we used to do was uh, was play something called the nine shot drill, which I'm which I'm, I know yeah. you're aware of. You know, straight, medium draw, high, fade, high, high medium, draw. low. And yeah. I, I I've stood on ranges with Darren playing that game, and it was like watching Picasso paint. Mm. You know, just three iron, and it's just the slightest variation in movement on, on, on the ball. And, and I remember one day it was it was almost like this is a bit too easy for him. This let's make it a little bit more difficult. So instead of instead of telling him what shot to hit before he'd set up, we actually decided, actually decided I was only going to tell him the, the, the shot that he had to hit at the top of his backswing. Wow, okay. And, he, and it didn't change anything. Wow. It's still really? pretty incredible, incredible. You know, so he'd, literally top of the backswing, high draw, low draw, <coughs> straight, whatever. And unbelievable. It's, it's unbelievable ability. But by his own admission, you know, I've known Darren a long time, and I'd say, you know, call him a friend, that he understands that in some ways his great talent has actually held him back a little bit in the sense that his, his, his expectation of what ball striking should be is so high yeah. that when he gets on the golf course and it doesn't match up to that, it's a bit of a frustration. Yeah. Um, you, you know, 
greatest respect for uh, Paul Drake Harrington, as, as almost a contrast to that, Padraig probably by his own admission wouldn't say he's as talented as that, but he would be a good example of somebody who's, who's got the very best out of himself on the golf course. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think, I think Darren, Darren would say if he had his time again, he would probably spend a little bit more time on the mental side of the game, of actually building up that ability. It's, it's, it's probably, probably the greatest mental skill I think you can have is acceptance. That when you get out on the golf course is, is, is accepting the fact that a lot of the shots that you hit will not be anywhere near what your capability is. Yeah. But being able to accept it and, 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 and move on. And you know, Darren, by his own admission, would have <laughs> said he struggled with acceptance from, 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 from time to time. And, and also, you know, I think, again, he, I'm sure he would admit that at, at times he's, he's perhaps gone too far down the technical route and, you know, got away from that ability to play golf shots. Yeah. You know, the, the, the week he won the Open at, at St George's, the conditions that week were so difficult that you could actually only play golf shots that yeah. week. Mm. Couldn't really you focus couldn't on really focus you? on, no. you know, yeah, yeah. top of the backswing, shallowing it on the downswing or whatever. You could only play a golf shot. You know, and Pete Cowan tells the story that early on in the week, Darren was ready for going home. Yeah. You know, he, he, he didn't feel like he'd got his game and, and Pete got him on the range just, you know, Right, Darren, we're going to need to we're going to need to hit some stingers this week, and we're not going to hit some low shots. And twenty minutes later, he's showing off because he's back to being a kid again at Port Rush, mm-hmm. playing golf shots. You know, and whenever whenever Darren's out there playing golf shots, he's a, he's, he's a dangerous man. Dangerous man. A dangerous man. Yeah. It's when he gets too involved in how he's going to play golf shots that he gets a bit in his own way. I think it's interesting, isn't it? Sort of the the mental game as well, Carl. Is that I remember being at a seminar, and I think it was yourself actually, asked the, the, the group how in, uh, if they were working anything on their technique, and I think every single person put their hand up. And then you said, well, how important do you all think the, the mind game is? Mm. And everybody, obviously everybody agreed with that. And then it was like, well, who's working, what are you, who's working at something on their mental game? Mm-hmm. And no hands went up. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, everybody knows it's important, but nobody really knows how to work at it or the yeah. tools and again you're talking about Louis with a with the red dot that was just a tool that allowed him to to focus you know to his attention and to work on it and I think it's something that the awareness and you mentioned there really with Darren Clark I think it's so key to be able to understand yourself on the golf course yeah. isn't it but really it's creating the tools that allow you to to manage your game around the golf course, isn't it? But so many people aren't just aware, are they? I think, I think the key thing with it, I and mean, you've, you've hit the nail on the head there, is that you know, technique you can see, you can grab hold of, you can put somebody on a video and say you're a bit steep or you're a bit flat, or you're doing this or you're doing that. You know, body we can see, you can have an assessment and you, you know, your hip rotation isn't as it should be and you can, you can identify it. The, the mind's this kind of ephemeral thing that we can't, we can't grab hold of. We only just see the results of it on the golf course. So I've always been quite keen on whatever, whatever mental game tools and techniques I might work on with a player, that there's a way of scoring it. Yeah. You know, and like you just said, Andy, that, that it's so important for me that a player, it's all about that individual I've never believed about it being this way to do it. I believe that, you know, you as a unique person need to understand what you need to do. You know, if there, if there is a fundamental principle for the mental game, for me, it would be just about one word, and that's attention. Yeah. You know, what is your attention on when you play golf? And is it on something that's useful or useless? 
Yeah. And actually, we ve get very good at putting our attention on useless things. You know, it seemed to be that for Louis, it was useful to look at a red dot, then go through his process, and then let go. And obviously, underneath all of that was the great work that he'd done with, with, with Pete, and his golf swing was in good shape, but he needed a process to release that. So it, it is so much about every individual. I call it becoming a, an attention detective. It's just, it's just no, look out for what works for you as an individual. What are your tendencies? And I always say to people, success leaves a trail behind, but we never look for it. Mm. And every golfer always says, what am I doing wrong? Which, which has its relevance, but yeah. perhaps the more important question is, what do I do when I do it right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What yeah. makes me tick? You know, so I, I'm a great believer, you can't say to anybody, oh, you can't do this or you can't do that. You know, if somebody says to me, I've just won a major, and I, I've got four swing thoughts, well, I'm not going to say don't have swing thoughts. Mm. Chances are it probably wouldn't happen that way. But, <laughs> but do you know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah. it, it, is, it is. I'm a big believer in an individual working with a good coach, but actually taking ownership themselves. Because yeah. ultimately when you're out there and you're coming down 16 needing a par or whatever, or got to put it on the fairway on the last, you've got to own that process. Mm. You, you've got to know what your tendencies are. And I think it's so interesting, you know, one of the things with the likes of Trackman now is that, you know, we can see that on a practice ground, a, a golfer's numbers are this, but even take him out on a golf course just in a friendly game and the numbers change. Yeah. No, no surprise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what, what, what's your tendency? Does the, does the path go further left or does it go further right? Or understand your tendencies in the real situation, not just on a range. Problem is golf. What we tend to do is hit it bad on the golf course, and then come straight back to the environment where we feel good again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think, look, I think, I think you're right as well about you know about the the golfer taking control or taking charge, as we always say, of of of, of their actions. But understanding what makes them tick is is, is very important. And I think, and I'm, I'm, I forget who told us this, and I'm pretty sure it was you. But the I'll the, take credit for yeah, it. Anyway. <laughs> The, the, the biggest insult you could have as a coach would be that someone says, I only hit it well when you're there. Yes. So yeah. the, I, think it, I think it was you that said yeah. this X amount of years ago. But it was, you know, so basically... You've done a really bad job as a coach, if that's the case. Absolutely. So if, you're, if the only way they hit the golf ball well is if you're there, well, you know, they're going to have to win the Euro millions and take you around everywhere to be any good at golf. Because, you, you know, camp. our job as a coach mm. is 100% getting that person equipped to go and play golf. Not to become a better practicer, of course. If they're a better practicer, then they'll be a better golfer. But our job is not just about changing their technique so that we can, you know, be the only ones who can observe that. They need to be able to get on a golf course and play golf. And we need to transfer those skills. I, I think the key, I mean, I think it was Mike Hebron who said it to me years ago. He said that you don't really change golf swings, you change concepts. Mm -hmm. And I think as a coach, if, if you can help people to shape the concept concepts change swings Con sure. concepts change swings mm -hmm. but but it, it's it, it's individual then if somebody changes their concept they're actually going to interpret that concept in their own unique way mm -hmm. and, I, and i think that's a very powerful coaching yeah. when you can give somebody a, a concept that they go wow i hadn't thought about it like that before but look at what happens when i focus on that concept and and, and then they own it and uh, as you say, Piers, that I call it lazy coaching, really, that, you know, that to me, the worst kind of coaching is it's very prescriptive, where somebody just, unfortunately, with the, with, with the time constraints, often with a golf lesson, the, ol the only thing that gets looked at is a golf swing. Yeah. I, 
think it's really important for coaches to understand, actually, you've not got a golf swing in front of you, you've got a human being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Find out about them. Yeah. What do they really want from this? Not everybody wants to get down to scratch. Not everybody's interested in that, but if you can really understand, you know, perhaps the most important question, it's a Fred Shoemaker question, the most important question you can ask a golfer is why do you play the game? What is it that you're doing this for? And I think then the coach-player relationship gets an awful lot deeper. If, yeah. if, if the coach understands the person, if we, ju if we jump straight in it, or you're coming over it, or your yeah. club face is open, you know, that's way down the line. And I think, I think the, the problem is for any, any, any coaches listening to this, as you say, we've built ourselves into a bit of a hole by saying you've got to have half an hour Absolutely. or 60 minute golf yeah. lessons. Mm -hmm. So for a person to sit with you for 45 minutes of a 60 minute session, and you're talking about why they play golf and how's the dog, is it better, and you mm. know, how much golf are you going to play this week, and then you last 10 minutes you start talking about technique. I think because a lot of people are brought up on the fact that they think they should have technique in a golf lesson, they're mm. going to walk away from that and think actually there was no value in that lesson. Mm. But the job, I think, I think the, the one to re-educate people. Absolutely, but I think the one good thing that the, that me and Andy have done, uh, hopefully it's a good thing, is we've we've been very good at changing people quickly. Yeah. So if we can get someone hitting the ball better quickly, then they trust you, then they will buy into you, and then you can do the other stuff. So yeah. sometimes, I mean, we found that because when we were at Three Hammers and we were dealing on hourly sessions, our job was, and we spoke about it a lot, get them hitting it well straight away. Yeah. Yeah. Don't say they've got to get worse to get better, because I don't think you ever want to do case. that anyway. Yeah. Why would you go to the doctors and get worse to get better? Maybe in some cases. But you, you, we get them, hit them hitting the ball well, and then they believe in you. Then you can get into it yeah. a little bit deeper. Yeah. But I think it's fascinating as well, though, that when somebody comes, when we get a, a, a guy or a girl on the tee, and then you look at their golf swing and you sort of build up an image of what their game's like. It, it gives you a, a sort of a snapshot, but then you take them on the golf course and you see a totally different... Yeah. You see the golfer on the golf course where you see a golf swing, swing on, the, ra on the range. And I think yeah. it's so key for us as so coaches to look at that golfer and go, well, what's going to make this person better out on the golf course? Yeah. And it may not be the golf swing. We, we, you know, we can see, we talked about this on your podcast, Carl, as well, you know, how they speak, how they react to poor shots, what they what they think about, you know, we are, and that's something that we do, Pierce, isn't it? We get them on the golf course and we'll watch them for two or three holes first, not really saying anything, mm. so we can see them in their, I suppose, it's a natural true state. Yeah, the yeah, true yeah. environment, so we can build up a, a, an image of, okay, well, these are the things that we can start to maybe look at that's going to help you out here on the golf course. See, it's such an important point, Andy, because your brain responds to context. Context and environment are unbelievably influential on our behavior you know we, we, we would we behave very differently in a church or a library than we would on a football terrace yeah. you know you only need to see the sort of lunacy on some of those <laughs> but where, where that context creates triggers different behavior now i think the big challenge that we've got with golf is that the context called practice ground and the context called golf course are so incredibly yeah. different and you've just said it there and you know who which other sport Imagine a football coach never watching his players practice, yeah. uh, never watching his players play. Yeah. You know, and or just come in on Monday, lads, and tell me how you got on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we did all right. Well, yeah, boss, yeah, I was, right. yeah, I was good. You know, my passing was great. So, you know, I think again, this is a, it's, it's a time constraint, it's an economic model, and all the rest of it. But I think in the industry, we've got to just challenge some of these mm -hmm. things that you've just said. It. You get out there and you watch them play. Yeah. Oh God, you should do. You should see what's really going on. Don't. Don't just, oh, I played rubbish. Well, what does that mean? 
Yeah. You know, you, you just touched on it there, Andy. Reactions. What are the reactions like? Because it's not so much the bad shot that's the problem, is it? Because no. we're going to do that. It's the reaction to the bad yeah, shot yeah, that's, the, yeah. that's the big issue. And, you know, I've had some success with club players working on nothing other than the reactions to the shots. Now, I'll say to them, I say, I'm not going to stop you hitting bad shots, but I can, I can change the way you react to those bad mm -hmm. shots so that you don't follow one bad shot with another one with another one and, and the whole thing unravels. Because the problem is with this game is every time we make contact with that thing, it goes on a scorecard, doesn't yeah, it? Absolutely. You know, it's not like other sports where you can, you know, in football, you can miss a bunch of chances in the first half, but if you score two goals in the second half, you're a hero. Yeah. You're probably going to be man of the match. You know, you can't erase that front nine at golf, can you? Yeah. I think it's interesting with the mental game as well, is that for myself more so, really, it's, it's not that you need to learn new things. I think a lot of it really is just becoming self-aware of yourself, understand, recognise some of the things that you're doing on the golf course, but then having the tools, that you, again, that you said there, Carl, of maybe scoring things on the golf course and having the tools to deal with them. And a lot of people know, may know that they're angry on the golf course, but as you said, just saying stay calm on the golf what the course, that mean? that's not going to help them yeah. unless they have a tool that's going to help them. if you have that T-shirt. Keep calm. Keep calm and carry on. <laughs> but, th but this is what I, I've, I've tried to do over the years, which is interesting, is that is that you classically the caricature of an angry guy, let's say, for instance. I know, I know both men and women get angry. But let's say a caricature of an angry guy. Why does he get angry? Well, he, he's, he's probably a pretty competitive person. You know, and he gets angry at, 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 at what he's performing. But I actually turn that on his head, turn it on his head and say, let's get competitive about your anger. Whereby we might set up a game where every time that you lose your head on the golf course, you've actually got to put a cross in the scorecard um, at the end of that hole if you've, if, you've, if, you've, if you've lost your temper out there. And, you know, so, well, if you tell me you come back on, on next week and you've got 12 crosses on, on, on the scorecard, you have been a real clown out there. Just imagine having to play with you on a golf course. But all of a sudden then, the, the competitive guy doesn't want to see 12 crosses yeah, on his scorecard. Yeah. And if he can get down to one or two crosses, actually then he's got better at managing his anger. Yeah. You know, so you actually turn that competitive nature on its head and actually use it in a useful, you channel yeah, it better. Yeah. Mm. I like that. So I'll tell you what I'd like to do, actually. I think it's, it's great for people listening to this. So you mentioned attention, okay, what people focus their attention on. I think, I think there's some obvious ones out there that are golfers, not, there's not saying that they don't do them, you know, throwing their clubs and cussing, whatever that is. What are some poor examples of how golfers do focus their attention let's just let's, let's let's list a few so people hopefully may may not realize that they actually cause themselves problems yeah. Andy, when we were talking before and you mentioned that you've been reading um about the stoics the daily stoics great book by ryan holiday and you know this centuries old wisdom talks about your your circle of control what, what can you control in life? Well, actually, there's, there's only one thing in your circle, and that's, that's your mind. You can't even control your own body to a degree. Now, when you look at on a golf course, what are some of the things that people put their attention on that's not that productive? Is other people, for, for starters. You know, oh, it's slow today, or this guy's a clown, or, or, or whatever. It seems strange, but I, I find this so effective. It's just to simply ask yourself the question when you're out playing, what is my attention on? Mm. Because when you ask yourself that question, then you put yourself at a choice point. Because attention tends to be just a trigger reaction. 
if I'm the type of person who starts to notice slow play, guess what? I'll get good at doing that. Yeah. You know, or I'll, I, another one would be the condition of the course or whatever it is. What is my attention on and is it useful? Mm. Clearly it's not. Okay, well, what, what, what would be useful? I don't, I don't know. Why don't you just put your attention on the task of moving this ball from here to that target? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the, the, basically, all of the things that you put your attention on on the golf course that are not under your control, I know it's a bit of a cliche, yeah. but it's very limiting. Mm. What do you have control over? You have control over deciding that your intention is to move this ball in this direction with this shape. What do I need to feel in my swing to produce that? You are in control of that. Yeah. Now, does that mean you're going to execute it? No. No. But does it mean you've given yourself a chance? Yeah. Absolutely. You've got a higher chance. Absolutely. We, we, yeah, sorry, we, we mentioned on, on your podcast, actually, an example of a golfer that I was coaching who hit it great on the range, wasn't getting any better, and then I played golf with him on his golf course to see if he was making any fundamental errors, and his biggest fundamental error was the fact he was apologising for the state and the condition of the golf course right. on every hole. And right. we spoke about this, and I Perfect mean, we, example, we found out that it wasn't a good idea for him to actually, and we're going to talk about environments, in a moment, but you know, it wasn't a good idea for him to play golf with the golfers he was playing with, mm-hmm. and within within three or four months, he was his scores improved drastically, and he wasn't feeling so depressed when he walked off the golf course as well, because you, that's a big thing. You isn't see, it? you've just picked up on a huge point there, Piers. Um, if you have the goal of lower scores and lower handicap, if that's one of the things that you really, really want, and this this can be this can be a tough challenge is that you've actually got to look at the whole picture and including in that is the people that you play with on a regular basis. Tony Robbins said years ago, and I remember in a, in a seminar he said, you will in life, by and large, become what those closest to you expect you to become. Mm. So the ties that bind are very strong. Now, if you play in the same football week in, week out with the same guys, guess what? Everybody's expectation of how each of you will play, yeah. believe it or not, has a huge impact. You know... I think I look at some of the top players over the years I've worked with, and you know, one of the best things that young players can do is play with better players. And all, you know, with with the ISM stable, with the young South Africans coming over, they got chance. Louis got chance to play with Darren Clark and and Lee Westwood and Ernie Els and things like that on a regular. That was great for the game because that was outside their comfort zone. But they also thought, my yeah, Darren does make mistakes, or Lee does make mistakes. I can beat I can beat these guys. But at the club level. If you play with the same guys week in, week out, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm not saying you have to lose all your friends. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's all about what you want from the game. And if yeah. you play golf for social reasons only, yeah. I'm not going to say change anything. But if you're really keen on improving, mm. you've got to look at the whole system. And, and, and I think go and play in other golf courses and mm. things like that. Because you know, your own golf course is just an autopilot trigger after yeah. you've played it. You know, I'm sure we'll touch on this as we go through the day. You know, playing your own golf course in practice. Mm. I mean, it's a revolutionary idea, but you can practice on a golf course. You know, you, <laughs> you don't have to be on a range. You know, go out there and and don't hit it, don't hit driver and play the holes differently. Just come up with some different things. But but you know, maybe changing some of the plays that you play with. Step outside of your comfort zone. Go and play different golf courses. That can be a huge factor in, in, in improvement. I think it's important, isn't it? Because again, this is something that we talked about on your podcast: the environment, and you know, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And I think if you're a, let's say, you're a 14, 15 year old kid looking to become a European Tour, PGA Tour player, whatever it is, 
then I think that's different because obviously then we would say, well, look, it's probably going to really help you if you ditch the players who are really bringing you down. So mm -hmm. if they are looking to be the best possible golfer they can be, then you know, their, their route and their decisions are going to be different to somebody who's playing you know, golf. weekly golf, club golf on a, on a weekend. Their decisions might need to be a little bit more brutal, whereas the guy who's a member at a golf club who's playing every week, what advice would you give to him if he knows his environment isn't necessarily um, helping him what can he do to, to get the most out of his game, mm. even though he's in an environment that, it, that potentially could be harmful to his game? I, th I think the first and foremost is really be clear on what you want. As I say, if, 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 if golf just a release from your life and you love playing with the guys that you play with every week and all the rest of it, I, I wouldn't say don't do that. But understand that improvement in handicap might be, might be challenged. Just say simple steps like, you know, if you really want to improve and think to yourself, right, this season's going to be a little bit different. Yeah, I'm going to play with my pals on a Wednesday or a Thursday night or whatever, but I'm actually going to take that bold step on a, on a weekend. I'm going to put my name down with yeah. some lower handicap golfers, yeah. some people I don't know. And, and you know, and it, it, why would that improve me? Well, actually it does, because you're not then being bound by the expectations of others. There's all sorts of social science research on this that you know, the expectations of others have an impact on you at a subconscious level. It's, it's powerful stuff. You know, whereas if you go and play with somebody that you don't know, you're not played with before, who's a better player, that's a, that's a, that's a clean slate. There's no expectation either side, but all of a sudden you can perhaps think, oh yeah, that guy I played with is off five handicap. You know, I, I love the classic. In every golf club, there's always a few guys, isn't there, who are, who are you know, perhaps past 50 years of age. They've got ugly-looking golf swings, but they still play off low single figures. Yeah. Those are the guys I would say go and play golf with mm. and just watch how they manage the way around the golf course. You know, I'm working with a guy who came over and he, and he, he travelled up from Littlestone to Manchester and uh, in his... In his, in his late 60s and one of the goals that he had was was to to shoot his age as soon as possible or lower than his age as soon as possible and we did some work together and he actually shot 67 at the age of 68 Brilliant. and, and, and it, he was he was just an education to watch this guy because he you know he, he didn't hit it a long way probably you know not much more than 200 yards off the tee but his ability to manage his game yeah. was phenomenal and one of the things that he said it always, always sort of had an impact on me. He said, he said, he said, he said, I think I'm all right at this game. He said because I know what I can't do. Delay the morning, and it's like that was brilliant. You know, brilliant. that's like I said, that's just, you know, if there's four of you, and, and you play regularly, and actually you, you sit down and have an honest conversation with each other. What do we want out of this year's golf? Do we want to improve or not? Yeah, I'm sure everybody yeah, deep down does. Of course. Right. Well, let's do it a little bit different. You know, let's let's stop doing what we normally do, where we start we get we get four holes in and we start bitching and moaning about Bill in front, how slow he is, and we start moaning about the greens and all this kind of stuff. And you know, let's do it a little bit different. So yeah, yeah. I think even at the you know club level, just a different conversation can have a have a huge impact, really. And it's it's interesting, isn't it? I think you know if you're hopefully the majority of guys listening to this want to improve, and that's ultimately what we want to do is help them. And it's amazing the power of just one person sort of standing out and going, actually, I want to do something different. Yeah. I'm going to start making, a, making some, some moves on some different things, and that, that inspires maybe another guy. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, the four ball that you're playing maybe gets a little more competitive. They see you get an upward else. spiral then, exactly, don't you? Exactly, yeah. yeah. rather than three guys bringing, let's Each say, one down. down yeah, yeah. So it's like, well, actually, 
if you're strong enough to say, well, actually, I'm going to really step out of this and do something different, hopefully then that will breed into, as soon as they start seeing you perform better, yeah. that hopefully then sort of spreads across your group. And we've seen it so much that happen when one person can start doing Takes things the lead. and then somebody goes, oh, he's, he's, he's doing that differently. I might do that. And subconsciously as well, they'll start becoming similar to that person. I think you're right. And, you can, and deep down, people want to play better and want to enjoy the game more and... You know things like that. You know you can you, you on an upward note with this. You can do so much. You know it might start off with you get to the end of this particular season and think right. This, you know the, we've been crap this year, lads. Haven't we? Like, what we're going we're going to do? What we're going to do about it? We're going to going to because the biggest predictor of behaviour, not just in golf but in life, the biggest predict, predictor of future behaviour for anybody is past behaviour. Mm. You know that goes across the board in eating, training, whatever it is. But you actually sit down and you think. I, this, this winter, why don't, we, why don't we form a practice group where you know, we all agree that Wednesday night we go to the range and you know, they might be having lessons off, off you guys or, or whatever. Right, how are we going to practice? Are we going to practice a little bit differently? And all of a sudden, that practice session on a Wednesday night at the range, because there's four of you involved in it, on that, on that, on that Wednesday night in the middle of January when it's pissing down and blowing <laughs> a gale, you're much more likely to go if you know that the other guys are going to be there. Yeah. You know, and you can create game-like situations. You can put all sorts of... So practice, actually, I can stop using the word training, actually becomes fun mm. because you're doing it with, with, with your mates. But there's a real purpose to it. And I think that's important, isn't it? Because ultimately, from our point of view, you know, the, you, know you again, you put this theory into us years and years ago about the, the, the future coach understands people. So th to understand a person to get better at golf from us, obviously we always will feel that there's technical elements that they need to improve yeah. upon. Yeah. But if you think about the Wednesday night winter group where the four guys go down to the range, if they're going to hit 50 golf balls, they can say, well, our first 20 golf balls or our first 10 golf balls or whatever it takes, it doesn't need to be many, are focused purely on one thing. So I've got to do a grip change, I'm going yeah. to do a grip change, for these first 10 golf balls, 20 golf balls. Right, I've done that. Yeah. I'm going to implement that as a very small part of the next 30 golf balls, which is targets. Yeah. Which is, okay, five golf balls between that, those two targets. And then you could perhaps five come golf together as a group. Yeah. Absolutely, make it competitive make as it well. Make it competitive. Pay for, the, uh, play for the pint if you have to. Yeah, you know, you, you, I, I love a one on a range where, I call it functional three, where, whereby you get somebody to, let's say they have 30 balls, and the idea with, with 10 clubs is that you've got to hit three functional shots with each club. And, it, and if you hit the three functional shots with a five iron, then you move on to you know, your wedge or your three iron or rescue or whatever and see how many clubs that you can get through. And it's surprising. When, when you actually get them to practice in that way, there's a good bit of pressure on that third mm. shot. But actually, then you identify. It's really good feedback to the to the coach, and you say, "I'm just not functional with five iron, seven iron wedges, whatever whatever it is." But it's a great way to practice because you realise that with functional three, if you can start narrowing the spread that you get on the golf balls, all of a sudden, you know, the, you, know, you guys know this probably the the, the best for. Um, indicator of improvement or one of the best things to focus on for club golf so just hit some more greens yeah and hit some more greens and if you if you know that you're functional or more functional with your clubs the predictor is then you're going to hit more greens on the golf course mm -hmm. if you hit more greens on the golf course you have a heck of a chance of your handicap coming down yeah and i think it's you know talking about practice here i think we've got to 
talk about practice in more detail. Because training, it's, please. Sorry, training. Training. <laughs> <laughs> training, there we go. <laughs> That's just, we've been golf too long, you get, you get terminology. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the training is it's just so important. And we were talking off air a, a moment ago where other sports, they tend to do it a lot different to golf, mm. don't they? Where they... They very much have purpose to their training. It's very sim- it's sort of game simulation, if you like. And, yeah. and for, for guys listening to this, they go to the range, they have 60 balls or whatever it is, and it's more of, a, more of exercise as opposed to actually training for the golf course. Exercise and social gathering. It is, isn't it? You know, yeah. you know, they're not really getting a purposeful practice session and getting the most out of them to prepare for the next time they go on the golf course. And it's just so important, isn't it? It, it is. It's... You know, it's stimulus response that, that you know, on, on the range. You know, the problem is with golf, not the problem, the challenge with golf is it's an interval sport. You know, you hit a shot and there's a long interval between the next one. And then we go to the range and if somebody hits a bad shot on the range, well, the quickest way they can make themselves feel better is just drag another ball. And, and, and so you, you're never actually having to deal with the interval. No. And that's a big, big factor. Whereas, you know, like, you, like you've just said, Piers, if... if if you divide your practice session up and there's some technical work, but then, okay, we'll say, well, what, what does the real game involve? Well, the real game involves one unique shot from one unique location with a consequence. Because yeah. that, that shot's going to go on a scorecard. So how does my practice actually replicate that? You know, and, and then you can create all sorts of... You're only limited by your imagination, really, about how you can train. But, you know, I love the idea of people going to the range... You know, with a notebook, you know, and actually writing down. You know, we're we're all our biggest critic. We're all, you know, we're all competitive with ourselves. So if you can create some games, where you know it could be like, t- you, you, you know, you get ten chances with a driver to hit it in a certain target area, and and you note down how many you get in that in that target area, um, and what's your miss pattern? Do you miss more left or do you miss more to the right? That's really good feedback then when you're working with your coach. Yeah. Because you've put them under a bit of pressure, you've simulated the game. Okay, my miss pattern is off to the right. Okay, well, what do we need to do technically to, to yeah. start to start to work with that? But you know, I was I was talking with uh, Ed Coughlin the other day. He's a, he's a great guy. He's a skill acquisition, and you know, and, and he said, you know, even things like when you go on a golf course, what do you have with you? Well, virtually everybody on a golf course has a yardage chart. And you look, you look at the yardage chart. Well, how many people use a yardage chart on a, on a, on a practice ground, mm-hmm. on, 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 a tra- on a training ground? Or, um, why? why <laughs> even I can't stop it. Even I can't stop it. Why not? And again, back to the back to the you know the Wednesday night range group. Why not? Why not have um, you know a yardage chart there? And you, you're all going to go and play. I don't know. You're going to play a, a tournament. At, Burtdale or wherever this year, and you know it's all readily available. You, you, you stand there with a the yardage chart, and you and you call out different holes, and you see how effectively you you know you could play some of those holes. But replicating the real the real environment, mm. putting yourself in that situation. Because I remember with British cycling, one of the mantras was with British cycling, it's been so successful was that in the Olympics it was the, I think the phrase I might get it slightly wrong, but the phrase was it's just another day in Manchester. So the Olympics basically were just going to be a replication of what they did the training in, in, yeah, in yeah. training. No, no, I know that's a, a different because it's a fixed environment. Yeah. But I think the principle's great. Yeah. You know, if if your if if your practice is always so different to the real thing, mm. good luck in trying to transfer yeah, it. Yeah. You know, and un- unfortunately, if you have any ability at this game, 
practice is very, very seductive on the range because you start feeling good. Of course you do, yeah. You, you know, you start timing it and you're shaping these shots and it all feels great and, you, you know, you think you're going to take the world by storm. Unfortunately, it's actually putting yourself in that, I think Dave Aldred has the phrase, of the ugly zone or something, something along those lines of putting yourself in that position in practice. It's a bit uncomfortable. It's a false impression, really, isn't it, of it what's is. going to generally happen. And how many people come to us and say, oh, I was hitting it so good on the range 10 minutes before I went on the golf course mm. and hit it terrible out there. So it, it really is key just being able to simulate and create the right environment on the, on the driving range to, to really help. And I think it's something that we've used and continue to use since we first saw you all those years ago. And it's something that you've obviously, you know, passionately believe in. And, um, and I think it it's just such makes a sense, great opportunity it? It for coaching and coaching in general and for coaches to, to sort of really, really embrace that. And as I say, you're only limited by your imagination, really. Yeah. And, you know. and, and, and you know, the one thing that we, we have spoken a little bit about, but not a lot about it, is consequence as well. Because mm. obviously putting consequence to the action. So I've got a, a guy who I coach, and uh, he hasn't had a lesson for a while, actually, because he's been a bit injured, but a, a guy called Brian McManus. You may well listen to this. Um, and his consequence from his training sessions mm. was that if he passed his challenge, he would have a nice T-bone on the way home. Great. If he didn't, he went and cleaned the missus' golf clubs. Ooh. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was an <laughs> intense session. That is pressure. It was an intense <laughs> session. And he, yeah. he, was a, he was a school teacher, headmaster, actually. He would buy into something like that. He loved that mm. sort of fun environment and it really did help him improve him and actually the biggest reason that he had golf lessons was because he was going to be a captain of his golf club and he was going to hit that first drive right. and he wanted to hit a good shot right and he would base two years of coaching on that yeah. it, it was phenomenal really of course that was his main goal he wanted to get better at golf anyway but it was it was and he was he was challenged he had a he had a, a leg length discrepancy which made his golf swing very difficult right. you know, he, was, he was he was physically challenged to play golf but we got him hitting beautiful high draws was it because we got his path more into out with a good club face position? Potentially. Yeah. But it was actually more down to the fact that he actually practiced consequence and games. So that's the two things, really. You're blending the blending technical the and the mental there, yeah. aren't you? Yeah. You know, you could just work on the mental game alone, but if the path is still way out and the face yeah. isn't under control, you know, he's just going to have a, you know, he's just going to be a bit better at dealing with bad shots. And, and his keys would be very simple cues and actions. They would not be, okay, we need to stop you now and we need to get the golf swing and we need to shallow it and show you how to do that. And of course, we have to do that with some people. Mm. And there's a big place for it still in Absolute, our mind. Absolutely, 100%. But for him, we got to the point where it was very simple. We just, we hit a switch and then he would change. Mm. And if he went off, he'd come back and then we'd be, and this is interesting, in an hour session, he'd be back in five minutes. And he say, "What we're going to do now?" <laughs> okay, all right. Let's, let's let's think of something to do. Let's yeah. let's figure something out. Let's challenge you in a different way. And that's a great point: is is people taking more ownership of their own mm. practice and figuring stuff out. And you know, um, I think we all we all train, we all go in the gym, and you know, the, there's there's nothing better than in in a gym. That, you know, you don't you don't go in a gym and just think, "Oh, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna lift the same weight for the next twelve months." You, you have a personal best, don't you? And when you go past it, or you have a circuit that you do faster, or, or more pull up, or whatever the hell it is, you feel good about it. Mm. And that's, you see, I've, I've always had a big thing with practice, is do you, come away from, from, do you come away from a practice session with a feeling that you're better, or do you come away from a practice session with some evidence that you're better? Yeah, there's a big difference. There's there, a big, big difference. Yeah. Because feelings come and go. I'm, and we've all experienced this. How many times do you feel like you've got the thing on a string <laughs> and then you go to the first tee and that, and that string <laughs> gets a bit wide? <laughs> yeah. But on the other hand, if, you know, if you, I don't know, something like par 18 I was talking about 20 years ago, you know, if you play par 18 
and the, the scoring at par 18, you know, you start off in the high 20s, mm-hmm. but the average comes down. Well, that game, that game is saying to you, the prediction is that you'll chip and put more often on a yeah. golf course. Yeah. Not based on a feeling, actually based on a fact. Yeah. Now, in other sports, you, you, they, don't, they don't base training on feelings, do they? You know, they don't set a 100 metres runner. I, I, I feel like you could win the Olympic medal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I feel like I'm running fast. You know, Usain, Bolt, <laughs> Usain Bolt knew that in practice he could do sub, sub 10 seconds yeah. and he knew that because it was a stopwatch that gave him the facts. Yeah. In golf, we don't have enough facts with practice. We just have a lot of feelings. Yeah. Just quickly on par 18 for anyone who's listening and doesn't understand what that is. That's basically nine different positions around the green and we're calling each position a par two. So if you get up and down... You make a par, so the aim would be to get 18 or better. That's yeah. world class, by the way. It's hard. We've done that quite a few times. 18 is world class. And we never mentioned. <laughs> we talked about Darren. We've 15 we, a few we, times. <laughs> we talked about <laughs> Darren. <laughs> we mentioned Darren before. I remember in the early days working with him, and you don't get, you don't get, you didn't get too many texts back from Darren. But one of the, t- and I still got it on the phone. I'd, in, I'd introduced him to par 18, and I, and I think it was just before he won the WGC in uh, in Akron, and and that week I just got a simple text. And it said, shot par 18 for the first time. Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. So that's, like you say, that's actually... So it. that was a good example of, you know, even for a world-class player like that, shooting 18 at par 8 really meant something. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the great thing is about that, when you're measuring practice and you're recording what you're doing and you see that you're getting better, first of all, you know, you understand where you're going wrong. But if you see that you are getting better, you have no doubt but to take more confidence to the golf course. And mm. it's based on evidence as opposed Absolutely. to... I just feel better, and that's massive, isn't it? And, and I also think as well, Andy, this also ties directly in back to the technical side as well. You know, if you're getting evidence of your missed pattern or you're getting evidence of what you're struggling with with par 18, okay, well, let's have a look what, what technical yeah. aspect might be holding you back on yeah. that, and then we can drill down and work on it. Mm. You know, so people become much more aware. You know, people say, always say at golf, I want to be consistent. Well, most people are remarkably consistent. It might be crap, but they are <laughs> remarkable. But, but, but they're not aware of the consistency. Yeah. You know, one of the crazy things that I've done with players over the last few years is a, is a thing, you know, that, that the whole idea with golf, that you, you play golf uh, two nines, front nine, back nine, seems so obvious. But it's actually one of the stupidest things that we can ever do mentally because there's a concept with attention called reset, where basically what you're trying to do is reset your attention when things go off track. Now, how many golfers will play the, <coughs> they'll play the front nine as though they've never played golf in their life, and then they reset for the back nine and play great on the back nine? Yeah. But there's a lot of damage can be done in nine holes. Yeah. So why don't we think of golf, instead of thinking of golf as being two sets of nine, why don't we have six sets of three? And it's, it's funny, the seminars I do around the country, the number of times I'll go back to a place and people say, oh yeah, I still do that super six, whereby you go on a golf course and your job is to play six sets of three holes. And after every three, you reset and you start again. And it's amazing, it, it's just that ability to just change your focus on something, to reset your attention, you know. You can play the next three, no matter what happened in the previous three, no matter what's going to happen in three holes time. Okay, my world now is these three holes. Mm. How well can I do on that? And that narrows the attention down to that task. Just an interesting topic there as well. I'm I'm sort of going off a little bit here, but I think it's an important thing to talk about. One of our players who plays on the European Tour, Aaron Rye, I was looking at his scores yesterday just on, you know, we sort of keep a track on the internet, and the first hole he made a bogey. Mm. And it's interesting 
talking about sort of the mindset here and just how amateurs would deal with that. You know, you, they're playing the first hole and they make a bogey or a double bogey or whatever it is. Seems to have, that would seem for a lot of people to have a lot more impact on that first hole than it would if it was on the seventh mm -hmm. or eighth. Mm -hmm. And it would almost think that they would take that, it's, oh, this is going to be a nightmare round, I've started with a double bogey, and then that would shape how they then act mm -hmm. from from then on, isn't it? You know, whereas if it happened on the seventh hole, they made a bogey, it's like, well, you know, it doesn't matter. So it, it just shows how important it is to have that reset. Yeah, absolutely. On yeah. Almost on every shot. Well, that shot's done. Next one, move on and, and, and go from there. But it just that spot that yesterday, because I thought Aaron made that bogey on the first hole. And I knew, I know from him, he's, a, he's very good mentally and mm. he puts that behind him and then mm. he can just deal with it. But for the guys who were listening to this, they make a bogey on the first hole. It can often just shape the rest of their round, but it's just a hole. Whether it's, it's the first a, it's or the 18th, it doesn't really matter. It's also just a story. I mean, it's a story mm. that you're telling yourself. Um, you know, people say, oh, I know how I'm going to play by the way I hit it off the first. And you think, Christ, Christ, that's a bit of pressure on your first <laughs> tee shot. You know, <laughs> you know yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> if I hit the fairway, I'm going to shoot a good round. Yeah, okay, good I might luck. as well go in, I've topped it. You know, but Fred, Fred a big, big influence on me, Fred Shoemaker said, he said, you know, if... If, if you hit the worst possible tee shot the first, but you knew after that you're going to have your best round of your life, what would you do? You'd just, you'd just look forward to touching it, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, of course you'd you look would. forward to hitting a bad shot. Yeah. And then, but it's just, you know, we've not covered it, but a big thing for me is stories, is the stories we tell ourselves. And if that's, if that's the story that you tell yourself that the first tee is going to determine the next five hours. <laughs> I think it's a big thing though, isn't it? For it's a lot of people, a lot of people will have that story in their mind. It's a self-fulfilling story. If I can just get the first one away, I can settle down and relax yeah. and I'll have a good round. Yeah. This is interesting as well, going back to how we train on the range and things like 10 ball game, you know, mm -hmm. so knowing that you consistently do a, you know, all of our juniors did 10 ball game. They did it throughout, you know, my Wednesday night group, which was more of a, an elite group always on Wednesdays. They would do that every week mm. and that would be part of what they'd do and they knew they were going to do it and we'd try and mix it up obviously as many different ways as we could but they knew that if they could get seven out of ten that it didn't matter if they missed one yeah. because they're probably going to get seven out of the next nine holes you yeah. know fairways because they, they, they were that good at conditioning good habits and, and that's huge for you that's that's if, if you know you're, you play ten chance on the range and, and your training suggesting that you you hit six or seven out of ten in yeah. that in that narrow fairway. Yeah. Well, if I hit a bad tee shot up the first, okay, that's I know I know based on my training, I'm going to get back on track. I know I'm going to hit more fairways yeah. because that's what my training suggests that I'm capable of. Love it. Love yeah, it, love it. Interesting. I mean, do you know what? We could just keep going, couldn't we? We can we go. Could, <laughs> the mind is so... I could bore you so all day. Many, there's, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's so many things and so many situations that we could probably go through, isn't, you know, isn't there? Well, we've got a list of about 12 different <laughs> topic points here. I think we've gone through two of them. So, yeah. actually, one thing that I would like to ask, I think, for them, we always want to make sure that people listen to this and um, they have tremendous value out of doing, uh, listening to this. But if you've already mentioned the scorecard X, you know, mm. for if you lose your temper... I think something like that is very applicable as well. If you just say something negative mm. to other golfers about it, mm. you know, say, I knew I was going to do that and all of these simple things. So I think if we want to get people to get things out of this, I think definitely folk, you know, have a look at what your attention's on, but yeah. then develop a game that you can, that uh, either gives you some consequence or just a way of rating yourself like the scorecard system. But what, what would you say is the number one thing that golfers could do 
better and how they could actually remedy themselves? I know it's very broad. Yeah, no, I think as a, as a broad generalisation, um, and if you, if you think about it, every, every shot that you ever play in golf is that unique moment in time. So every shot has to be created. Every, every shot's got to be created in your mind first to give your body a, a map to follow. So one of the things I would say is that you know, every single golfer could probably improve the process before they step into the shot. You know, and it could just be a, a couple of simple questions that they ask themselves. Uh, you know, what's the shot here? And they describe it to themselves. How does it feel? Have a practice swing. But if you, to me, if you've done your process on each shot at the end of that hole give yourself a tick on the scorecard. Pre-shot routine. Pre you've done your pre-shot routine. And pre-shot routine, you know, it doesn't need to be, you've got to have five waggles in the Absolutely, set and all yeah. that nonsense. Yeah. People get pre-shot routine very, very wrong. They, they think it's all about the physical actions. Yeah. That's very much, for me, secondary to the, to the mental process that you go through. And it should be, I'm a minimalist, it should be just a couple of things that you know you need to do to create the shot. And if you've done that, you tick it off on the scorecard. Now, I said to playing it at the highest level, you know, if you come off a round of golf and you've got 18 ticks, you should be incredibly proud of yourself. Because yeah. regardless of what it says in the other box, i.e. the score, you've done the best that you can that day. But the good thing about having the tick on the scorecard for every time you, you go through your process on each shot is that if you, if you don't do it on the previous hole, you're much more likely to do it on the next yeah, hole. Yeah, of course. If you don't have that accountability... If you don't have that scoring mechanism, the mental game just becomes this fluffy mm. concept, really. That, yeah. you know, when, you, when you're out there, did I do my pre-shot routine, did I not? There's no way of scoring it unless you create your own formal, yeah. formal system. So you, you, know, you can just have that simple thing of, of a plus and a minus in the mm -hmm. sense that if you do your pre-shot routine, you get a tick. Yeah. If you behave like an arse on the hole and get really grumpy, you get a cross. So yeah, I like the cross. I think the cross tells you that you've been wrong. Yeah. And I like that. That's yeah. Good. And, and, and as I said, then we, as we said earlier, people who are competitive turn the competitive instinct mm -hmm. on their behaviour in, the right, in the right way. You know, everybody listening to this will know their tendencies. You know, they'll know their tendencies. Are, are they a grumpy golfer? Do they fault? Do they get resignation? Do they not really focus on the shot at hand? You know, Home in on your own personal tendencies, but create, and great word is accountability, mm -hmm. create some accountability to yourself, not anybody else. Yeah, yeah no. I think it's key. It's just developing those good habits, isn't it? And as soon as you start the process of doing that, they become automatic, and then you're just giving yourself the best chance possible. Whether you hit a good shot or not, you know you've put the work in to prepare for that, really, and that's key. And I, I, sorry, just quickly on the accountability, because I think it's really important that you're accountable to yourself, but maybe to others as well. Because if you can tell someone at home or at work or... A, a competitive brother, whatever, you know, that you're going to be accountable for this and this is, and I'm going to show you my result at the end of it, that's definitely going to help you. If there's, one, if, you know, if there's one thing I would say to people that, that are wanting to improve, whether it's, whether it's a coach or a, a mind coach or whatever it is that you work with, if, if, there's, if that person provides nothing other than... I, I, the players I work with, part of the deal is that if you're going to work with me, you're going to send me a weekly email. And you're going to tell me what that week's been about, and you're going to tell me your results. Now, that's important for me, but it's far more important for them because we're staying on track. Mm. It's you know, 
the road's paved with good intention. It's about the actions that you take on a daily, weekly basis. But it's, it's we, we, you know, we're all, we're, we all fall victim to it. You know, life takes over. But if there's somebody that you've, we talked about the Wednesday group, that's accountability at the range. You know the guys are going to be there. If you've got somebody you can be accountable to, you send them an email, this week I've done this, this and this, shot this at par 18 or whatever, you are much more likely. It's kind of all this stuff, we kind of know a lot of it, we know what we should be doing, but it's the doing it that's the key thing, and yeah. accountability is a big part this of it. So this is the thing for us. I mean, we don't we don't have a, a massive academy like we, we used to have, but I, I, for, for me, the Wednesday night group could be any, any golf pros or range pros listening to this. It should be... doesn't have to guys. be Wednesday, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's Wednesday. There's seven other it options is Wednesday, in the It is Wednesday. Uh, but they turn up on the Wednesday, and they train, and they do their bits. You know, there's 20 guys rock up, and they do their yeah. technique because their golf coach is there watching them yeah. as well and supervising their training. And then suddenly, bang, they go into com- competition mode. And it could, be, it could be a couple of dozen golf balls. It could be a putter. It could be a wedge. It could whatever. be whatever. whatever. Getting someone to buy into your program that way, I think, would be fantastic. It's a massive opportunity for yeah. the, through, through the winter. We can... You know, we can moan about the winter coming and then we can moan about the weather and it will come. I, I, I can pretty much guarantee yeah, people yeah, it will come. Winter is coming. Uh, but what, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. You know, and there's a huge opportunity there because people like being part. We talked about it earlier on, didn't it? Part of a group, part of a community. Yeah. You know, but you've got to, it's no good thinking about it in January, thinking, oh, I'm a bit quiet now. You've got to be thinking about it now and set these things in, you know, Create a transformation group or a breakthrough group or whatever, but you know, get people involved. Tell you what, next year when you have some success stories, and have a busy diary. Yeah, yeah. Good. Transformation group, I like it. Definitely. Oh, Great. I think we've just... we've covered. I mean, so much there, but we could go on um, lots more. We've got some filming to do today, which we is going to be yeah, good. So uh, do do I'm enjoying that, sitting here. With exactly. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you open the window. Hit you out the window. So, yeah, I mean, Carl, thanks so much for your time. Hopefully the guys at home have got loads of things, but I think the key things that they can do from, from this really is, is start tracking and start measuring and, you know, become aware of, of what, your, what your tendencies are and, and put yourself accountable. And if you can do that, I think um, you're going to start to see some stuff. So for people who listen to this, Carl, where can they uh, find out more about yourself and the services you offer and follow you and, and, and get hold of you? Yeah, if they, if they want to go and uh, look at the website, the website's themindfactor.com. Um, I'm, I'm not as astute on social media as you guys, but I, there, is a, there is a Twitter account, and, uh, uh, the Mind Factor Twitter account, but the, the, the website would be the, the main place, and I, I have a, my own podcast that, uh, that comes out. The Brain Booster. The Brain Booster, yeah. Well it's a good podcast as well. well worth listening yeah. to. If you're listening to this now, go and listen to that. And also, you've got a book that you just bought out, yep. The Lost Art of Putting, and we're going to be doing some work with Gary Nickel yep. in a moment as well. So that's actually very exciting for you, brand new out. Yeah, we're really excited about, about the book. It's had some, some nice comments and reviews so far, and we've, uh, we've, we've called it The Lost Art of Putting. Available at... No, no. <laughs> 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 we call it The Lost Art of Putting because we do think that you know, science definitely has its place to play in the game of golf. Hundred percent behind that. You know, we're big believers in launch monitor, track man, and things like that. But when you go out on the golf course, it's much more about the art of, of, of yeah. playing golf or the art of putting. And the and the book really, it's not a prescriptive book. It actually isn't telling you to do hold it in this way or stroke it in this way. It's actually about asking yourself better questions and it's all about changing the concepts that you maybe have about putting and hopefully hopefully releasing the authentic you 
as opposed to what somebody else thinks thinks you should do. Yeah, and so where can people get hold of that? Is it available on Amazon? Come on, continue the joke. <laughs> it's, av it's available at Amazon, yeah. yeah. Go and check yeah. it out, guys. Yeah. It'll definitely help you. Cheers, Carl. Thanks for your time. My great we pleasure. We look forward to getting on the golf course with you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Me and My Golf podcast. We hope you enjoyed that and got some value from that. And if you did, then please share that episode with a friend. And if you can do us a real big favor and head over to iTunes and leave us a review. It really does help this podcast grow and reach more golfers. And our mission is to help as many golfers around the world as we can play some better golf. So it really would mean a lot to us. One question that we get asked a lot is, Andy Pierce, how can we get coaching from you? Well, now you can have myself and Pierce as your very own personal online golf coach. And we've created a, a platform that infuses our coaching experience and philosophy into a fantastic community that's packed full of weekly videos that will really help transform your golf. We've got coaching plans on specific areas in the game. We have a shot fixer section, which really enables you to fix your faults fast so you can see results immediate on the golf course. And we really want to build a, a tribe of golfers that are committed to playing the best golf of their lives. And like I say now, this is the closest thing that you're going to experience to get me and Pierce on the lesson tee with you. And we'd love to have you part of this fantastic community. So head over to meandmygolf.com. And look, have a go. We have a 14-day free trial that you can take advantage of, see what it's like, and if it fits right for you, then fantastic. And we'll hope to see you there. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the Me and My Golf podcast.